The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan and now back to the podcast spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company and we want to help you brighten your collection visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase with a wide selection of coins paper money supplies and more Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste Use promo code SPRING at LittletonCoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Hi, everybody. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. I'm going to start out today by um, telling you something that I think is funny, but I never know what's funny and what's not. This is why I'm not a stand-up. Um, my, my sister keeps making fun of me, my older sister, Peggy. And she's like, when, if you go to Instagram or you follow me on YouTube, um, my videos come out really like, I look like a different color. They're not good. They're like grainy. I always have to shut the curtains behind me. And most podcasters have like studios that are set up and I just never did that. I record in a nook in my room with, um, at my little desk with my hats and my Peloton in the background. And usually there's a dog or two on my bed and just like a pile of laundry. So if you ever look in the background, it's usually me trying to cover up like piles of laundry. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, but I do have to tell you, I, I ordered on, on Amazon, some lights so I'm kind of excited to see what Celeste does with this episode when it comes to you, if it's properly lit and you can actually see my face. Um, so that's that's my really important number one announcement. My number two story for the, for um, today is my husband and I went to this gorge, gorgeous wedding over the weekend at Terranea Resort, which is my favorite resort of all time. I love it, love it, love it. It's in Palos Verdes, California. If you are ever looking for the most beautiful place in the world, go to Terranea. I mean, it's kind of like a, a an escape for us if we live here. We'll go up there for lunch. We've st- we stay there occasionally, but my one of my favorite people, the girl Rochelle that does my hair for years and years, got married to her high school sweetheart. It was the sweetest wedding ever. Um, she, I think she just turned 30. So the reason this story is funny is because, you know, I, in your head, as you age, you still are like, Oh, I'm like the young and hip person at the wedding. Here we go. And you go. And one of the guests turned to me and she was like, Oh, are you a friend of the mother's? So now I find that my husband, (laughs) We weren't like the young kid. We're not the young kids anymore at the wedding, which we know. But in your head, you're like talking to the 30 year olds being like, this is my crew. Like, what up? And meanwhile, we're closer to the age of the parents of the mother of the bride. And so I just immediately like I, I in my head, I was like, I'm looking pretty hot tonight. 
got my like, have my makeup done, my hair done, and then like somebody's like, "Oh, are you a friend of the mother of the bride?" So that was exactly what my ego needed to like, you know, keep it in check at all times. But anyways, those are my stories. We've all been put here for a reason and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to Judging Megan. I'm going to bring my guest in right now. Her name is Lisa Leon. Lisa is, I've known Lisa for years and years and years. She is a very like best friend of my friend, Stephen Bowman. And she has come on to kind of share her story of being a caretaker. She's also a mental health advocate like myself. She's a wonderful lady. I've known her for years and years and just a big fan. So welcome Lisa to my podcast. I'm honored to have you you on. Lady, lady, huh? Lady, <laughs> what a wonderful lady. Lisa, do you understand like, cause we're, cause we'll chat about this because you know, we're both getting older. We've known each other, I think since our twenties. Am I right on that? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe. I think I'm 10 years older than you. Oh, okay. Well, we'll just, we're, we're going to pretend so like So you were probably 20. in your twenties and I was in my thirties. Okay. Well, anyways, I just have known you for a very long time. And when yeah. we met, right, we were still like the young and hip, like, like Hollywood girls. And you were dating like a stunt oh. man. And now it's like, we're going, I'm going to a wedding and somebody's asking me if I'm the mother, if I'm friends with the mother of the bride. It's, it's kind of hard being Gen X because it's like, I don't feel like I've ever grown up. Yeah. So I see myself perpetually in my twenties. And so when I, yeah, I get that. I'm like, um, no, like I was out with a friend's kid and they're like, Oh, are you the grandma? I'm like, somebody asked me if you were the grandma. Yeah. And I'm like, I could have been, I mean, I'm old enough to be a grandma. No, you're not. But you know, if you see Lisa and you watch this on YouTube, she's like a total cool hipster. She has purple hair. Like she's never going to, right? You're always going to be Lisa. And I love you for that. You're fun. (laughs) You're funky. Let me think of another F word. That's nice. Fabulous. There you go. Because I don't want to use the wrong F word. I'll take that. Um, But I, so we were chatting. So Lisa and myself and my friend, our friend Bowman, who, if you want, if you know me and you follow me on Instagram, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Jeff Lewis and flipping out from Stephen was on the first season of flipping out on Bravo year, 16 years ago, if you can believe that Lisa. And so last week, Stephen and myself, um, went to do this flipping out after show recorded with Brandy and Julie, who are just so funny. I listen to them every day on Sirius radio as well. And Steven just did the best, best job. He talked about what it was like being on flipping out and his relationship with Jeff and just like progressing in time and how he thanks him. And he's just, Steven's a class act if you know him, but anyways, so afterwards we all went to lunch and I was talking to Lisa and she, and I kind of were you know, she's listened to the podcast and she was kind of like, I, I would like to come on. And I said, I would like, love to have you on because something that obviously is huge to me. And I talk about every week is your mental health and being an advocate of suicide prevention and all the things that I care about. And Lisa is coming on today to kind of share her story and what she's gone through, but also to talk about caregiving. And as we age and we get older and our parents are aging, I still have my mom. Um, People, I'm starting to have friends that are losing parents. Um, Lisa lost her mom in the past few years. And I think it's really important to kind of tell this story and share this story because I haven't before. 
And it's something that I think is so important as our parents age, as human beings age and uh, in our country, I don't think they're treated properly. I talk about this all the time. Um, we're just kind of thrown away, you know, women, especially we, we get to a certain age and we're just like, you know, you're out of your baby making age. And then you go, I talk about this, like perimenopause, menopause, and then you turn into a ma'am in a grocery store and that's pretty much it. So I'm very, I, I would love your thoughts on that giant word vomit that I just spilled out. If you have any, anything to say about what I just said. I 100% agree with you. I do think as we get older, we get thrown away. Mm -hmm. um, my, my father passed a couple of years before my mother and he was in a nursing home mm. and I saw the way they were treating him. And so I grabbed this photo, uh, his graduation photo. He was hot. And I put it above his bed and every nurse that came in, I said, that's the man that's in this bed. Treat him like that man. Wow. You know? And like a lot of the, a lot of nurses were like, Oh, your, your dad was hot. And I'm like, yes, he was. And you know, he, you know, he, he had a lot of cancer. And so his body just was just destroyed, you know, and it was just rough to see my macho, gorgeous dad, uh, feeble in this bed and being, you know, basically treated like nothing. Well, um, it's thankfully my, my aunt lived near Huh? It's painful. I'm sorry to talk over you, but it's extremely painful. And I love that you said that. My, We lost my aunt a few years ago. Um, she had dementia and she had taken a fall. And my my one of my older sister really was caring for her and on top of all of it and just, you know, in the, in the home, she was in assisted living. It's a fortune to send people to these assisted living facilities. So don't get me started on that. But it's also yeah. um, that the way that they're, nobody's treated. They, you don't treat, they don't treat their, these people like their family. You know, it's just kind of like their job and no. they, they're just kind of cast aside. So I love that you put that picture up. Maybe, maybe it reminded them that these people are human beings and they deserve a, ha a like a graceful exit. Yeah out of this world, right? It's some of my issue with nursing homes and, and memory care and assisted living is the people who work there are paid so horribly. Mm -hmm. um, so they are not getting quality people in there. Uh, you know, who wants to work for $9 an hour, you know, with these patients? It's only going to be people who don't have a lot of experience. We're just trying to get a job, you know, it, it's sad. We need to pay the people who take care of our people need to be paid better. It's the same thing as teachers. Yeah. I mean, why yeah. are we paying? Yeah. I mean, this is a whole like side podcast, but why, why are people like, why are financiers and like all of these people making so much money? I mean, don't get me started. This isn't going to turn into a political rant. And, but yet we're all, I mean, we're probably going to end up in assisted living at some point, yeah. maybe not, or your children are going to have to take care of you in my case. And th those are your two choices, you know, and yeah. why are we paying these people so little number one? And so what do you, you're right. What do you expect to be hiring? And number two, like why same thing with teachers, like you're, you're putting your children into the hands of these yeah. people from nine to three every day. And, um, and they're not, they're not paid accordingly, in my opinion. And I think and now a we're lot expecting, of people. I mean, now we're expecting teachers to pretty much lay down their lives for kids. Uh, thank you, Lisa. Thank you. And thank you for saying that because I'm obviously have done more episodes about school shootings than I care to ever bring up. And yeah, I mean, it's true. They're, they're now not just teachers, they're they're risking their own lives teaching our children and yet they're not being paid accordingly. So um, I have a feeling that this podcast is going to go into a lot of different directions <laughs> and I'm fine with that because I told Lisa at, at lunch last week, I was like, you know, I never really got political for a really long time. I mean, you can always kind of, you could probably always know where I stood in my politics, which I was always in the middle. You know, I, I just, I want, I just 
never really wanted to claim that I was a Republican or a Democrat. And then all of these things have happened over the years. And I'm just like, become so passionate about these social issues, you know, and all of our friends are, we both share mutual friends and our gay friends are being treated horribly and our trans community is being treated horribly. And then all of these school shootings. So you'll both, you can guess from the few things we've talked about thus far where we both stand. Um, but what I would really like to talk about is you. So let's kind of talk about where you grew up. We'll talk about that briefly. And then we'll go into kind of talking about what you went through with your mom and moving and all of the things that you've been through in the past few years. Well, quickly, um, I was born in Chile. I'm uh, half Chilean, half American. I guess that's, yeah. uh, we left during the Cubayende. Um, we kind of had to. Our family was high up in the mines and we, our lives were threatened. So we basically fled. Came When we got to America, lived around, but mo I spent most of my uh, growing up in Colorado, uh, in Denver. And then I went to the Bay Area. My mother moved to Berkeley to get her PhD. And so I went with her. And then I, from there, I went to New York, to NYU to get my degree. Uh, and then Los Angeles. Uh, Were you well, I met my husband in New York. Major? We moved to Los Angeles. Huh? Were you a theater major in New yes. York with Stephen? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I have a very expensive degree on my wall. Yeah. A very <laughs> expensive degree. Um, cause I was also a theater major and we, we <laughs> joked about this, um, on when Steven was on the radio show that it's a degree that really comes to great use and <laughs> in your life, right? It comes to fabulous use in all aspects of my life, except for the one part where I really make money. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's pretty funny. Um, but, but, that, I mean, we have that in common. So you moved, so you were a San Fran, what's it? I never knew that you were Chilean. That's so interesting. Yeah. I guess you just never really, like when you meet some, somebody like later in life, you just don't even, that's not even something you ask, I guess. Well, cause like I said, I'm, I'm a white presenting Latina. Yeah. That's insane. I never knew this about you anyways. Thank God you're on my podcast so I can find this out. Um, did you, so, so when you moved to LA, so you had met our mutual friend, Stephen in New York, then you moved to LA to pursue acting? No, I met Stephen up in the Bay Area. Oh, I knew Stephen so from uh, when I went to junior him. college. Okay. We've, I've known him I, since I was like 19 and he was like 18. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. We've known each other that long. <laughs> um, and so you eventually ended up in LA. You landed in LA. Yeah. And was it? it yeah, was me and my husband at the time decided to move to LA to pursue acting. Okay. Um, I decided to give it up. I, I was just, it was exhausting. It was, uh, my breaking point with acting was I was on, on a pilot and we were getting ready to shoot and I would have, I had a great part because I was the sister of the lead. So I pretty much was guaranteed every episode if it got picked up. Um, the writer asked for something and it shut down the production. Why? And I turned to my agent. I, I don't know. I just turned to my agent and I said, I have no control over my life in this field, you know? So I was just like, I'm done. I'm done. And I got out of so acting. So you were working on a TV show. Nope. I'm going to tell you, nobody does that. People are like so desperate just to be given the opportunity to like have a part. When I was trying to get my SAG card years ago, I remember they, um, they want, I was an extra and they were like, can you run around in your bra in the background of this, like whatever show it was, I'm not going to say now because you can show <laughs> anyways um and I in my head was just so desperate because that was gonna get me my SAG card and I think back on my like young 20 something self and I'm like oh my god what was I doing I never had the balls to say no most women don't so that's really um admirable that you kind of like stood your ground and realized like no I'm not this isn't for me anymore right yeah, it, that's funny. I got my SAG card the, the same way, having to wear oh. a very, very small bikini. Like my agent was like, "You can wear a robe; everything will be fine." I get on set, and they're like, "We need your bikini. We need your robe." I'm like, "No, I was told I could keep my robe on." They're like, 
look, you're getting bumped up. You're, you're going to get your SAG card from this. Take off the robe. But that's but that's how desperate we all were yeah. back then. I mean, I was so desperate. I could not get it. I was doing all this like extra work on all these TV shows and just you would sit there and make like $200 a day and it would take hours and hours. So you get to like a certain point where you're like, you know, if you don't know somebody and you're new in town, it's like impossible to get it. And then yeah. the sad part is I finally got my SAG part and then I, my SAG card, and then I stopped paying my dues because I quit the business like shortly thereafter. You know, I just, like you, I was, I got to a certain point where I said, I'm done. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I don't want to not make money and, you know, sleep yeah. on an air mattress. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, so tell me once you kind of got out of the business, what, what did you end up doing from there? You were married. Your you were uh, married to an actor as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, he was an actor slash bartender. Um, uh -huh. I know those. <laughs> My husband was one. Yeah. yeah. I I then went into massage therapy. Uh, became a massage therapist. Worked at spas. Some chiropractors. Had my own business. Um, I also taught massage therapy at a school for a while. Um, and then from there, I kind of parlayed into one of my favorite jobs was I was uh, I ran a valet company. And nice. so I got to drive. Did I know you when you were doing this? Yes. I did. Yes. That was the job I had before I, I, I left LA to Montana was, yeah. So I did you, that for about You were a years. girl boss. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And I, I loved it, I, especially like the be nice cars would pull in and I'd look at the boys. I'm like, sorry, that one's mine. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's crazy. So the marriage didn't work out not to jump ahead. No, um, we, we were living like friends. We were best, best friends. Uh, we're still good friends. Um, he's, he's married, has kids. We're still in touch. I love his wife, everything. It's just, we weren't meant to be married. And uh, that's, that's how it went. So it's you con so you consciously uncoupled and that's yeah, the thing. Yeah. Yeah. When we were, when we were at the uh, courthouse filing the divorce papers and we're sitting there laughing and joking around and the woman behind the counter is like, are you sure you guys want to get divorced? And we're like, yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> You're like, I just don't want to be a roommate. So what, yeah. so then that happened. And then like, let's go into your story of kind of caretaking and your mom and like, kind of, I know I'm jumping ahead, but oh, I would love fine. to hear that. 100%. Um, so yeah, in 2008, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, thankfully she, uh, got a lumpectomy, did the radiation, it was cleared. Um, then in 2010, she was diagnosed with what was an essential tremor, but we were having a family reunion and everyone was going, what is going on with your mom? My mother had no expression on her face and she used to be an actress too. She's very passionate and expressive and she was like a zombie and we're like, what is going on? It was freaking us all out. Uh, finally, she was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Uh, that diagnosis enabled her to get the medications. And also because she's an academic, she researched, she had every book possible on Parkinson's. She researched the hell out of it. Uh, so she got on can the meds. I, which can I interrupt you for one second? Yes. Can you explain for my listeners and myself exactly what Parkinson's is? Parkinson's is deceptive. Um, people think because they see Michael J. Fox, that Parkinson's is just the shake. Mm -hmm. Uh, what I have learned, there's many different types of Parkinson's. Um, what sometimes it's referred to as upper body and lower body. Um, upper is when it's more of the mental and that was my mother. And then the lower is more where your body is. So my mother, the one thing that she never, ever wanted in her entire life was losing her brain. Um, it's almost like Alzheimer's, uh, very, very similar. Some of the aspects of Alzheimer's, um, which made it so hard, uh, to deal with in the end. Cause I lost my mom years before I lost my mom. Yeah. Um, I had to have this ghost that I was taking care of that wasn't my mother. Um, and she became a very, very mean person which as a caregiver, especially a caregiver for a relative, 
that's just devastating because it's really hard to not react to her meanness. Um, Can I ask a question? So there's different, I did not know that there's different variants of variants of Parkinson's. So like, like you gave the example of Michael J. Fox, who's been struggling with all with um, Parkinson's for years and years. And his is the tremors. And like, yeah. it's, you can see if he's interviewed re- as of late, it, it, they're, re- you know, he's having a hard time speaking. But I did not know that there were different variants. So th- it could be going sh- to your brain fairly quickly because it seems like he's still with it. Am yes. I wrong on this? Okay. I just want to understand. And that's 100% like what all of us think. We're yeah. like, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, I could have dealt with a mom who was shaking and wobbly and all of that. Mm-hmm. But my mom not being my mom and losing her touch in reality um, was really hard. And how do you know, like when you're diagnosed, do they know right away what what variant? There is have- so much about Parkinson's. I don't think they do know. Um Okay. Right now, they're trying to even figure out if it's hereditary. Uh, my mom's younger sister also had Parkinson's. Um, so it was, she kind of had a, she had more of the body thing. She had a lot harder time walking. Uh, she'd get the freezes where you have to help them walk and stuff. She did get the mind, but not as bad as my mother did. Um, yeah, there's so many varying degrees uh, of it. And I, like Michael J. Fox has lived so long with it. It's amazing. Just mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. And I think part of it is because his brain wasn't getting as deteriorated as my mom was. Do you think also because he has access to like the means for all the different studies and he's probably had additional layers of ta- like things that m- the majority of Americans or human beings, I shouldn't say Americans, people worldwide that have been diagnosed don't have access to? 100%. 100%. Mm-hmm. Um my mother, when she was diagnosed, lived in Portland. And in Portland, oh, uh, the the university hospital there is amazing on Parkinson's. They got a big Parkinson's department. She had an amazing neurologist. But moving to Montana didn't help us because nothing's in Montana. We flew back to Portland a lot. She actually got the deep brain stimulation, um, which unfortunately in her case made it worse. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking, and I don't know because I'm not a doctor, uh, that it may not be one of those things that people who have more of the mental should be getting versus, cause I think it's more for controlling the shaking, but I, I don't know. I just saw that my mother did not improve after it and she actually declined, which made it worse. So let me ask you once she was diagnosed, which was how long was she struggling with the disease? She was officially diagnosed, I think in 2010, 2011, and okay. she passed away in 2020. Okay, so it was like a decade of yeah. of progression. Tell me what that was like because I remember, I can remember because I've always followed you on like Facebook and Instagram when you packed up your life and moved. What what how did that happen that you decided that you were going to kind of like give up your LA life and move to Montana? Can you tell me that? Um my mom Wanted to move to Montana to be closer to family. Uh, I was felt like I was kind of in a dead end in Los Angeles, except for my friends. And I realized that my mom wasn't going to be around much longer. Um, and I really just wanted to be with her. Uh, she was a single mom my whole entire life growing up. So her and me were very, very close. So, yeah, she wanted to fix up her house in Portland and sell it and move to Montana. And I thought, why not? You know, uh, so I went up, to, packed up my place, uh, but kept it. <laughs> you were Always smart. had my apartment in Los Angeles. You're very smart. Um, went to Portland, helped her fix up her house. We sold the house, moved to Montana, got a wonderful house. It was a huge house. Um, it was actually a house and a half uh, because I had my, there, the garage had been uh, made into an apartment. So I was living next door in own space of my own, giant backyard. Uh, it was heaven for, you know, a while. Um, I then, I, I did a, made a lot of choices then that were very detrimental to my mental health that I didn't realize I was doing, but it also brought me a lot of joy. 
I started working as a mental health case manager for a mental health agency. Um, my problem was I cared too much, so I didn't have a lot of boundaries. Would overwork myself, uh, worked like 80 hours a week. Um, sometimes if I had a client go to the hospital, I would spend hours and hours. I wasn't the type who was going to be like, okay, you're at the hospital, goodbye. No, I'm going to stay with you. I want to make sure you're okay. Make sure, you know, the mental health professional at the hospital knows what's going on. I, I was, I went above and beyond detrimental to my health. I actually was at a work party with a whole full room, room full of therapists and I passed out from exhaustion. Wow. And yeah, you don't do that in a room full of therapists. <laughs> so I was on massive, like everyone was looking at me and I went through some training about boundaries and bringing down my hours and stuff because I would work, you know, eight to 10 hours a day, go home and then take care of my mom. Um, so I was never off. So you were like, exa like exhausted because you were getting it at it at all ends, not, yeah. not working on yourself and just constantly taking care of people. I think I was trying to wear myself out. I think I was trying to keep myself so busy that I couldn't think, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, but I loved the job. I, w I was a massive advocate there. I started because when the Republicans decided to cut Medicaid and doing all these cuts in the state and they just decimated case management. Um, and so trying to prevent the decimation of case management, I started a union, um, also started uh, some collectives to help people with mental health. Uh, we still ended up all getting, getting well, let go. Uh, but another company who knew of me through my advocacy work, uh, immediately wanted to hire me, but I have a, a dear friend there who's in a wheelchair, who's also an amazing case manager. And I said, no, you hire her before me. I can get a job anywhere. So, but eventually they hired her and her caseload got so big. They're like, you have to come and work. And I'm like, okay, I'll come and work. Uh, and I did that. And, and I also spent a lot of time up in uh, testifying and trying to get the funds back and just trying to get it. And I saw so them canceling case management. Um, we saw so many people lose their housing, lose their social security. Uh, a lot of people took their lives. Um, and I 100% testified and blamed it on the government. I said, the blood is on your hands. I go, these were people that were stable and you ripped the rug from under them. And you know, it is, it's their fault. This, this is a huge issue. I mean, this is part of why I do what I do is that I want to, I don't understand why healthcare and especially mental health care should be free. Like we would not have these issues with homelessness. Um, we just wouldn't have our issues. And, and like, instead of spending money on the dumbest things ever, put funds towards mental health. I mean, this is a crisis in our country. I talk about it all the time, but I think, wow. I mean, I, I mean, take a, like, I'm taking a step out here and just telling you, I can't, I know that about you just cause I've known you from afar and admired you from afar for such a long time. Like what a selfless kind human you are. Thanks. That you care so much about other people. You know, I, I, I don't understand sometimes how people stay sane <laughs> in the, in that environment. That's part of why I, people sometimes will say to me, Oh, you should become a therapist because you do this mental health podcast. I would be just like you. I, I wouldn't be able to function because I yeah. would be so upset all the time, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah the, I mean, the atrocities that happen to these people and, 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 I had so many clients that they would tell me the history of how they grew up and what they went through. And it would destroy me mm -hmm. um, because you 100% understand why they have mental health issues. When you were, you know, I, I had one client who basically from an infant was bounced around as a sex toy. Yeah. And she, oh yeah, it, it, it was, yeah, I, I, she had so many issues and such a hard time. 
And then when the budget cuts came and she was being told that she couldn't have case management and I was, that's around the time also I had some issues with the company I was working for um, that was kind of trying to force me to doing Medicaid fraud. And so I quit that and started my own company so I could continue working with this group of people without the pressure of paperwork and somebody telling me how to do my job. Yeah. Um, I didn't make much money in my job, but it allowed me to work with the homeless and a lot of my clients um, and not have to be told anything and, and do what I wanted to do with them and help them and get them to doctors. And, you know, it was, I'm still actually friends with some of them. Some of them still reach out to me. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. That must be so fulfilling. I mean, it's sometimes you wonder, like when I start to feel sorry for myself in life, because we all do. Yeah. Um, actually, last night I was even going to sleep crying um, because every once in a while, um, I'll, I have a friend that's dealing with something really horrific right now. And um, I got on my Instagram and I looked at this video of my best friend who, who I lost years ago, Julie. And I talk about her a yeah. lot on the podcast and I just looked at her face and I just burst out crying. And I was crying for like a solid half an hour and kind of feeling sorry for myself and just thinking like, I can't believe she's gone. You know, like all the things that we deal with, you, you dealing with it with your mom and the grief and the grief really never goes away. To be honest, it just turns into a different yeah. form. Um, but I was thinking as I laid down, like how lucky I am and that she is so close to me. I really think that about her. I talk a lot about her on the podcast. She's so close to me. I, I, it's almost like I can feel her sometimes. It's a strange thing. Cause I've lost my dad and my sister and other people in my life. I've never felt like they were so close to me. Um, so anyways, I, I just, yeah, I mean, it's devastating to think how much people have to endure in life. And when you kind of take yourself out of the picture and you realize, like, I don't have it so bad. But, yeah. you know, trauma is, is everybody has trauma in their life at some point. And everybody has to give people other people space for what their trauma is that they have to live through. But I, I, it's just, it, it, it drives me nuts to think like people just can't get a break from being a toddler or a baby all the way up to adulthood and they just can't get a break. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I guess seeing that firsthand must be even more frustrating like you did. 
it, it, it is because it, 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 especially the cases that would end up with my clients killing themselves, mm-hmm. that would always just completely destroy me um, because I knew they honestly felt there was nothing else. And they kind of were right. Like they were given up on the, the, all, all of society gave up on them. They threw them away and they took away any help. They took away, you know, money and food and everything from them. And I don't blame them. So you were able to kind of never escape what you were going through, but then kind of to circle back on coming home to your mother. I just, I don't understand like how people are able to juggle. I mean, people don't have choices in life. You know, they make these decisions and you made the decision to actually step up to the plate and do all the wonderful things you were doing. Tell me about what it was like taking care of your mom. By the way, it's okay to get emotional. I get emotional every episode. I can already. Well, yep. Yeah. This month is is the the three year anniversary. Um, like I said, I lost her before I lost her. Yeah. Um, because my mother was probably the most intelligent person I've ever known, uh, and witty, and educated, and well read, and fun, and goofy. And that person left years before she left. And I always told people, I said, it's hard. It's like I'm mourning for somebody who's still here. And it's really hard. Um, towards the end, she started getting more and more violent with me and my stepfather. And both of us were so worn down that we were just like, we, we got to put her in assisted living for a while because we need a break. You know, um, it, she would get up in the middle of the night and, and come into our, my room and like threaten me with knives and stuff. And it was just like, okay, I, I just need to feel safe for a little bit. We need some sleep. Um, so we got her into a memory care unit, which to this day is, will always riddle me with guilt. Um, I will always feel horrible about the six weeks she spent there. Um, she did decline there. Um, they called me up and they said, your mom's probably going to pass really soon. And I said, I don't care what it takes, how much money it takes, get her home now. Um, they got her home. She never regained consciousness, but she was there for four days. Uh, she did get some facial expressions, especially when my stepfather would come in and say he loved her and stuff. So that was nice. The whole family was there. And the one thing my mother has loved her entire life is when she's been laying in bed to go to sleep and all the families around talking. And so that's what we did for four days. We just hung around with her and talked. Um, and then she was able to die in my arms. I was there. Um, part of it was a relief because I could finally actually mourn. But I was really stupid around it too. Um, within all the stuff I was doing, I also managed to get myself in a very toxic relationship that I didn't realize um, I had dismissed all the red flags because I just needed to escape. And so this man was my escapism, but I didn't realize how insanely toxic he was. Uh, he has no empathy, no emotional reach. He was having a hard time with me being pressed and sad. So I gave myself a timeline. I was like, okay, um, I will give myself a month to mourn. And then I got to get back to myself. Yeah. No, that, that made it worse. <laughs> that, that doesn't was, happen. Yeah. No, no. That was the most unreasonable thing I ever could have expected of myself. Um, he eventually ghosted me. Well, good. Um, I'm glad yeah. he ghosted you. That's a, he, that's God actually like doing you a little bit of a favor. Yeah. Yeah. Let, um, let me just ask you one thing. Um, so like Alzheimer's or dementia, like what you're describing is so I've done episodes about Alzheimer's. I lost my aunt to dementia. I lost my grandmother, my grandfather. We have it on both sides. And um, it's a horrific thing. All, and as what you're talking about as well is to see somebody become a shell of themselves. Yeah. It's almost like they're just walking around, they're zombies in a body. But what you just brought up 
you should never feel guilt about that stuff and putting her away because my husband actually, his parents were caretakers to his grandparents in the end. And his grandmother had Alzheimer's, was diagnosed in her 90s, actually. And she would do things like turn the oven on in the middle of the night. I mean, it was like constant stress. People need their sleep. I mean, that's the number one thing that human beings need is sleep. If you're not going to get your sleep, you're going to get sick. That's that's a fact. So to say, and I understand because it's your mother and all the guilt and things that you would feel, but you had to do that to stay Lisa to stay sane. So you should never feel guilt about that. I understand. My rational side understands that. My emotional side doesn't. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, Yeah. We had to baby proof the entire house. Uh, We had child locks on the stove. We had child locks on all the cupboards. We had multiple locks on doors because she would just open it and walk out of the house. Walk outside. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She would insist she had to go. When, When she was in high school, she was a majorette. And so I think some of her brain went back to there because she's like, I have to go to the game. I have to get to the game. And it's like, you know, 10 o'clock at night. We're like, there's no game. She's like, no, no, I have to get to the game. And and it was, yeah, it's so hard. It's, and the rationality has gone too. You can't rationalize with someone. It, it's because it's real in her head. You know, it was just the same as my, my clients who had schizophrenia. What what was going on was absolutely 100% real in their head. Um, but trying to deal with it as somebody who can't see it and can't understand it is so hard. Um, and, yep. I, I, all the stuff that comes along with Parkinson's is so... Um, she would She had a hard time swallowing... Because uh, it's neurological, so, so all of a sudden neurological stuff breaks down. Um, it's a, almost like a mild ALS, too, uh, of just like the body breaking down, the mind breaking down. Um, I remember hearing about Robin Williams taking his life because he got a Parkinson's diagnosis, and I 100% went, yeah. Um, I, I think me and my entire family are kind of under the agreement with the same thing is is... If I got that diagnosis, I don't think I would put anybody through that. Hmm. That's really um, painful to to have to have witnessed and gone through. And honestly, I don't think people should be so judgmental, you know, and put labels on things because they just don't understand. Until you've walked in somebody's shoes or witnessed what you've seen, it's really unfair to, to judge somebody, you know? Well, that's why I think it's really important what you're doing is like, the more we talk about stories and stuff, I mean, there's always stuff in your life that, you know, other people have been through, but you don't know anything about it. And then when you live through it, you're like, why did I not know this? What, you know, menopause, come on. Why did I not <laughs> I'm know? doing how- an episode <laughs> about that actually coming up. No, I mean, it's true. People don't, that's why. Somebody once said to me, like, you should never judge somebody by, no pun intended, but you should never, um, like, make cast a judgment on somebody because you have no idea what they're going through, you know? I always, I'm very sensitive, so I take things personally. Like, if I say hi to somebody, it's my biggest pet peeve. I live in, like, an area where people, you'll walk by people and you'll be like, hi, and they just don't say hi back. So then it, it kind of, like, shifted me and changed me. I was always a really friendly, kind person. You've known me a long time. I've never, yeah. I mean, there's been bouts in my life where I was a bitch in high school or college because it was really just insecurity on my part. I never really felt comfortable in my own skin, you know, but as an adult, just to like walk by somebody and say, hi, I just think it's so strange. But then one day somebody was telling me that and I was like, it's so true. You just don't know, like. I never right. know what you would have seen or what you went through with your mom unless you wouldn't unless you would have like told me I would have had no idea. Yeah. So I think when humans I just did an episode with um Dr. Mark Williams who with like a couple of weeks ago and it's about the connection theory. That's what the book's called. It's called the connection theory and it's about how important it is for human beings to talk about things 
or to be in therapy. Like if you're struggling, like I'm a huge advocate of therapy. It's, I say all the time, it helps save my life. Talk therapy, any kind of connection that you can make with another human being to humanize what you've gone through and talk about it. It helps you, right? It helps heal our soul. It helps heal you. It helps you be able to move past this grief, the grief bomb that you're in and you will continue to grieve your mom for the rest of your life. Yeah. It doesn't get easier. No, just like I will continue to grieve my dad, my sister, my best friend for the, the rest of my days. The one thing I will tell you, I don't know if you're spiritual, but I am is I just know. And, and I know this about you because of what you, what kind of human you are pretty sure you're going to the good, the good place. (laughs) And you'll be connected. That's what I believe, at least with your mom again. And that's like my one thing in life. I'm like, please, God, just let me see them again. Like when I close my eyes and I take my last breath and I do the best that I can do on this planet, I just want her waiting for me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I I just want to hug her one more time. Yeah. You know? Um, Yeah. um, So. I guess to go on mental health part of it, I actually have massive memory loss because I went in such a depression. Uh, There's about a year of my life I don't remember. Um, I sunk just, I started drinking a lot. uh, And then, I mean, and it was COVID too. So I'm isolated, I'm drinking. Uh, we're selling the house. My stepfather just kind of packed up his stuff and left. And I was left to deal with all of my mother's stuff, all of my stuff, the house all by myself. And I am been diagnosed with major depressive disorder and I'm pretty smart in, in calculating when I'm there, but this one snuck up and dug in so deep. Uh, that I didn't realize how depressed I was, that I was making an absolute sure-proof plan to take myself out that I would not survive. I had multiple layers developing in my mind, and I was getting ready to order stuff off of Amazon to help this into fruition. And I think the little sane part of me posted, I'm done, on Facebook. And my cousin, who's very close with me and works a lot with mental health, too, called me up and said, what's going on? And I burst into tears and she's like, get out of that house. Come live with me. And that was the turning point. I, I, if she had not made that phone call, I probably would have taken my life that night. Um, it's a very and, scary place to be. I've been yeah. there. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And... I I moved in with her for three months while the house was still selling and everything and uh, just got back to me. Like, I just remember, like, Lisa was back. Uh, I was able to feel a little bit of joy. And, but the hardest thing about losing someone so close that I never get, at least with myself, and I don't know if other people have this, is that sometimes you forget they're gone. And there's times when something happens and the first person I want to talk to is my mother. And then it's the realization and it's almost like morning. It's like all over again. It's like it hits, you know, Um, and it happens too much to feel good. (laughs) You know, it's like, I know she's here with me and I know she's, she's, with me for all the joyous things that I want to talk to her about, but I don't get to talk to her. about. And it's almost too, like when you're in that end stage, right? So you were dealing with all the trauma of like, you know, it was hard when she went out, you were angry because she wasn't the person that like you were being basically physically, uh, not, not attacked, but just you felt not safe in your own home. Oh, she'd bite me. She'd hit me. Yeah. That's common though. I mean, that's common with <laughs> Alzheimer's as well. They, it, yeah. But you have to remember 
when I hear these stories, which I did not know this about Parkinson's until today, that it's not them. They don't know what yeah. they're doing. It's almost like they're reverting back to like a young toddler, you know, 100%. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a mom and have two daughters. And there were times when they were toddlers that I was like, no wonder I've started drinking too much wine because I would get hit, bitten. It's the same thing, you know, they're. And it's are, hard not to take personally. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. So think about those people going back to like memory care awards and the people yeah. that they're hiring for $9 an hour. These are your loved ones. You love yeah. your mom, you know, yeah. imagine not knowing these people and they're, you know, you have to change their diapers, all the things that you have to do. So once and, again, and when they're getting hit and bit they're they're not going to be as happening. nice. Yeah. Who knows what's happening and that, but for your own sanity, I mean, our brains can only take so much, you yeah. know? And so to have memory loss, I have memory loss from my childhood. There's things I've completely blocked out. I was diagnosed with complex PTSD, like about probably during COVID, maybe 2020. And, um, and that, I don't know if I'll ever get some of those memories back. And, yeah. and some of them, I think, are to protect myself. And it's probably to protect yourself as well. Right? Yeah. But what I do love about what you said is that you, you called out for help. You said, I need help. And so many people don't. So that's why all the, all the times that I post, like, keep going, you matter, your story matters, sharing your story today, Lisa, and talking about your mom and like what you've gone through just shows how strong you are. And you're freaking kicking major depressive disorders ass. And, Giant. you know, when, <laughs> and you came back, like, think of all the things that you've done. And I hope that you can kind of like pat yourself on the back and remember how much you matter and going to the grieving place again. And I apologize. I like to like get up on my stupid pulpit and talk too much, but grief is like I said, never ending. It's going to, you're going to yeah. have good days. You're going to have good months eventually you're going to have a good year, maybe not a year, yeah. but you'll have like periods where you're going to be like, not maybe thinking about your mom all the time. Three years is still very fresh. Yeah. And then, like I said, in the beginning, one day you're like, just, you could hear a song or a movie and then just be in a puddle crying yourself to sleep. Like I was last night. Um, I like to, I say this all the time, they're just in the next room and it just sucks because we cannot see them. Yeah. But I really believe they can hear us. So what you're doing is you keep talking to her, keep telling yep. her stories because that's really important to connect with our loved ones when they pass, because I really believe they can hear us. We just can't yeah. see them. And that's yeah. the worst part about it. Right. Yeah, I, I, there's. She was such an amazing and powerful woman that I know she didn't just get extinguished. I know she's still here, just not physically. And she's and she's here and probably checking in with you in her form that she chooses to the happiest time, right? Yeah, yeah. And and that's a I that is a fact. There's too many things that I've seen in my life or stories of doing this podcast for the past three years and signs that, that I know that they are with us. There's no way they're not. Yeah. So I hope that you just constantly, and my listeners that might be going through some kind of grief or loss right now, especially to a horrific disease like Alzheimer's or ALS or dementia, that's that's just an added layer that people yeah. do not understand how painful that is. Right. Yeah. It's. I think any disease that takes away somebody's basically mind and personality years before they're actually gone is so devastating to a family because you aren't allowed. I mean, in an accident, you mourn right away with a disease like this, you spend years mourning. Um, for what you're losing slowly. Uh, but the body's still there. And so you're still taking care of it. It's just, it, it's, yeah, it's just the 
uh, I, I can't even express how horrible and evil it is, but also I would do it again. Um, I would always, I would take care of my mom again, 100%. I might've taken care of myself a little bit more. Uh, that's a lesson I learned from it is, you know, I need to take care of myself while taking care of others. Um, I've also learned that's such a beautiful thing about how much, I mean, that just proves how much you love your mom. What, what is something that you learned? Like, say I have somebody that's listening right now and they're parent has been diagnosed with this disease and going through the same thing? Is there something you can tell somebody that might be listening that you learned from it? I learned to check myself and to check my ego. Um, the time she'd get really angry and come at me, I had to really 100% just breathe, try to get the situation handled and get out of the situation because I, I grew up a fighter. You know, and if someone hit me, I'd hit them back. Well, you don't do that to your mom, especially when they have, you know, this kind of issues. And so, yeah, some of the aggression coming at me, I learned so much about self-control and and the ability to just look at the person and try to get past the disease and love the person that I knew was still in there. I had a lot of hatred for the disease. Um, but a lot of love from my mother. And I learned a lot of control, a lot of compassion. I never knew I could be this much of a caregiver. I I mean, I don't have kids. I don't have kids because I'm selfish, you know? Uh, you're I, not selfish. You would, you're, <laughs> well, you, and I used to always think I was. I was like, I don't, I don't want to have something to take care of other than animals because I can still go on vacation. Um, but I learned a lot about myself and taking care of her. I would, I would do it again. I would hope to maybe have taken care of myself more while doing it. And I think that's very, very important for anybody who's a caregiver of somebody who's, who's um, dying of like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or anything. If you're a caregiver for anyone, you need to 100% take time for yourself. So uh, self-care. And real time. Yeah, and self-care. Like, yeah, like time where you can really just there, like get away, take a little vacation, take hours, do do healing, do do therapy. Like if you're in a, I, I, instead of doing therapy, I was more of a therapist, which was not helping me. Um, since I've been in therapy, and I was just like, man, I needed a therapist the entire time I was doing that, and I should have had one. And I say that anybody who's in a caregiving position please, please get a therapist. You've got to talk some of these things out. It'll help you so much in your own life because that's huge self-care. Well, that's, I mean, that's tremendous advice. And I do, I mean, like I said, you have to take yourself out of when you're in these situations, take yourself out and take care of yourself. Be Go, go see a therapist. If the first therapist isn't a fit, keep looking. I yeah. say it's like speed dating, right? Well, I mean, I wish I could talk to you longer. I think this story is, I hope somebody out there listens to this and I know somebody will be touched and maybe is going through the same thing that you're going through or you went through. But what I think is so important and so beautiful about what you said is that you would do it all again. You would do it all again. Like what a, what a beautiful love story between your, you and your mom, like some people never have that in their lives. So, she was my best friend. Yeah. I can tell very, very special to have to when a mother and a daughter, or, you know, anybody loves somebody so much that they can be so selfless. So I, I hope that you know that about yourself. Like you're a wonderful, wonderful girl. And I'm so glad that you didn't give up on life and give up on yourself because you still have work to do with that gorgeous purple, beautiful <laughs> purple perm. You have that. It's not a perm. Why am I calling it no, a perm? Unfortunately, it's like, real. You have, nuts. <laughs> no, you have pretty curly hair. I don't know why I'm saying a perm. Like, what are we in the 60s or the 70s? <laughs> I think I'm like losing my marbles. Anyways, yeah, Lisa and her purple perm. Um, <laughs> 
I have to end this hopefully on a happier note of just telling you, um, you know, sometimes I do these episodes and I'm like, what am I going to talk about for an hour? You know, like, how am I going to get through like something that's so sad and, and not break down? Cause I break down pretty much every podcast, but what you've done today is really give me a gift to be able to sit with you for an hour and talk to you about something that's so hard. And you've given my audience a gift. And if somebody out there is listening and they're struggling either with suicidal ideations or taking care of a parent or anybody and they're at a breaking point, I hope that you look to Lisa to know that there's always hope and there's always somebody that you can reach out to. And I say this like I'm going to say it again. Keep going. You matter. Your story matters. There's a reason why we're put here on this planet and got to keep going and reach out to somebody. There's always somebody. So Lisa, thank you so much for sharing your story and to all my listeners. Oh, I love talking to you and to all my listeners out there. Thank you for always tuning in and supporting me in this podcast every week. Um, I'm so grateful to you when you reach out or you tell me about yourselves or your lives and if you're struggling, I, I really appreciate you sharing your stories with me. And that's kind of selfishly why I do this, because I say all the ha- time, be happy by making other people happy. And that's what I close with. And that's what you did, Lisa. You know, you lived your life making other people happy. And so I'm going to close with that. Thanks, Lisa. Be happy by making other people happy. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. Thank you.